This is the Everyday AI Show, the everyday podcast where we simplify AI and bring its power to your fingertips. Listen daily for practical advice to boost your career, business, and everyday life. Will AI ever make its way into financial tech? And if so, what does that mean for the rest of us? Uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today on Everyday AI. This is a daily live stream, podcast, and newsletter for you and everyday people trying to figure out what the heck is going on in the world of AI. Uh, maybe we're going to get some answers because today I have a guest and it's, he's a special guest and I'll tell you why, but uh, Peter Warcall is joining us. Uh, Peter is a pro, uh, programmer analyst at FIS. Peter, what's up? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jordan. How are you? Doing great. Uh, the reason why Peter's a special guest, I'm very open and honest on the show. Peter is married my cousin, but that's not the reason he's on the show. The reason he's on the show is he has a master's in computer science with a concentration in artificial intelligence. So I'm like, Peter, you have to come on the show because this is kind of what you do and, and what you know. Uh, so just just FYI, that's uh, that's why Peter's on the show. And it's going to be great because I know he has some, some insights. Um, as a reminder, this is a live show. If you have a question for me or Peter, please drop a comment and we'll do our best to, uh, to tackle it. So before we get into all that, let's talk about what's actually happening in the world of AI. So uh, this is fascinating. A 22-word statement warning against the risk of extinction. All right, so let's talk about this news piece. So this is some of the top AI researchers and CEOs warning about a risk of extinction. So not just like some random guys, we're talking about the Google DeepMind CEO, uh, the Open uh, OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman. So these are the people that are probably most responsible for driving the tech forward. And let me read this 22 word statement and then I'm gonna get Peter's take on it. So the statement reads as follows, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics, and nuclear war. Peter, seeing that statement, what's your <laughs> thoughts? Are we worried about a risk of extinction yet? I don't think a mass level extinction yet is is imminent or something we should be scared of. But if we don't do anything about it, definitely there is something to say about how effective it is at doing everyday tasks and already. <laughs> and yeah. we're, we're not even allowing it to like I mean, we're obviously allowing it to learn from trillions of, of data points, but allowing it to move any further without being unchecked can be very, very dangerous. I, I agree with that statement. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to to see how that pans out. Uh, Christopher dropped a comment. Good morning, uh, Chris. Thanks, thanks for being here. I hope I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, the second second news piece, uh, which is comes as no surprise to me, but it's still worth highlighting. So a recent survey says students are just ditching their tutors at an all-time high and just going with ChatGPT. So this study came from Intelligent.com, and it said about 40% of students have already replaced human tutoring with ChatGPT. Peter, what's your take on that? Coming from someone who did their master's um, online completely, and I never even went into a single classroom for my masters, um, I can see the benefits of this immensely as a large language model. They were able to give you anything that you want at a fingertips notice within moments. You don't have to text someone and hope they're awake or hope that they're available to talk to you for a half hour, 30 minutes. You could just type it into a, a, a little chat um, thing and just say, hey, I want to know about this topic. This is what I think I, I know is what, what's wrong, what's right. And it can give you that information 
quickly, accurately, and it's just amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, Sayeda, we're going to get to that question. That's a great question, asking if there's potential risks or downsides. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. Uh, our next uh, next piece of news. So a recent Reuters report, uh, Reuters, looked at deep fakes in politics. Um, if you think it's bad now, just wait until kind of the, the, the U.S. primary election cycle heats up here in a couple of months. Uh, so anyways, this Reuters report looked at deep fakes being at an all-time high um, you know, being used for, you know, as an example, a Democrat, you know, saying great things about a Republican or a Republican saying great things about a Democrat that obviously don't exist. Uh, Peter, this technology, this this deep fake technology where it looks like, you know, you know, someone's actually saying something they're not cloning voices, all this. I mean, with your background, do you see this as just getting like a bigger, bigger problem as time goes on? Uh, it no doubt in my mind that this is going to be a major issue and really what we're going to have to do is lean on news outlets to be very very thorough with what they allow to be published and what they don't allow to be published platforms like twitter and facebook and things like that are going to have to become (laughs) it's hard to say but i mean censoring is a very dangerous topic to broach but you have to think about the implications of what some of these deep fakes could do and I mean, you could swing markets by points, and it's yeah, just the the implications of how these deep fakes can be used is really terrifying, and should really be taken seriously by the Senate, by the government, and and how we how we approach these kind of problems. Yeah, and, and Peter's not exaggerating where he's saying this can cause a swing in the market. We actually saw, and we shared about that in the newsletter last week you know someone made a deep fake which wasn't even a great deep fake of of the pentagon being attacked and the market started to tank you know even though it was momentarily it happened so that's that is a real concern and that's a great point that uh peter brings up uh kind of our 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 last news piece for the day um and and i'm sure people will love this because there's nothing more in customer service than we love than talking to chatbots but um amax so american express uh just just did say today that they're going to start using uh, generative AI and customer service. Um, a lot of fintech companies, which is you know kind of a, a little bit Peter's recent background, they've been very cautious, you know, using generative AI, and it makes sense. Uh, but Peter, what's what's your thought on you know AMX, one of the biggest companies in fintech, um, you, you know, saying like, hey, we're going to start using generative AI now? Sure. Um, I guess it really depends on um, their customer and how inward facing the product is that they're going to be allowing a chatbot to like take over troubleshooting. So let's say it's a very general thing that they're doing, like a, a, a customer that's calling in about their um, credit card being um, unable to be used. That I think could be very easily taken over by, um, by an AI bot, but someone who is working with their technology internally. That is someone like me who's writing code and stuff like that, where it's like, we run into an issue. It's like, I can't talk to an AI because you guys don't share the information with that AI about your proprietary software. So that, that AI is going to be useless to me. I need a human being on the other end that knows their system and knows how to work with it. And so I guess there has to be a line drawn about which customer facing, um, people are allowed to use an AI and which ones should have a dedicated person who's trained and able to answer questions thoroughly and quickly and effectively without me sitting on a, on a, on a phone line for hours on end. Yeah, that's a good point. So actually, you know, you kind of talked about, um, you know, kind of 
open access, closed access. So, you know, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, what your role is as a programmer analyst at FIS, you know, just, just for the everyday person, we hear those buzzwords, you, you know, what is it that you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis as a programmer analyst? Sure. Um, I'm still kind of going through and learning, but um, at FIS, what I do is um, we write in a language called COBOL primarily. And um, what we're doing is we're taking tasks or projects from the bank. My, the bank I work with is TD Bank. And um, they have issues with um, certain um, applications or programs. And um, we go through and I have a project manager and we talk back and forth and we figure out the issue. We write that code. We um, do test artifacts on all on all the test cases that we need to, and then we implement that code, and that just kind of goes through the uh, like a pretty standard life cycle of code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, kind of kind of explain to people, you know, not getting into the specifics of of, of Cobalt, but even just yeah. how uh, this technology works, because you know the way that, uh, and I'm, I, I might get this wrong, Peter. This is why I'm 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 holding you to uh, fact check <laughs> me here. But, you know, the entire internet runs on different code, right? So mm-hmm. if you're watching this on social media, you know, there's obviously, you know, hundreds of lines in, in, of code in the background. But with financial institutions, a lot of time they're not using the same type of code or the same language that runs the rest of the internet. A lot of times that, that code is maybe proprietary, um, you, you know, something that, um, you, you know, whether it's a financial institution you know, created so different banks can talk to each other, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's a language that a company itself maybe helped create yep. just for specific use cases for its clients. So, um, is this is this kind of you know at least in the kind of fintech, the financial tech space, is it pretty common to have code you know that is um, exclusive to banks and to just you know companies that only use that specific code? Is that I would common? say, yeah, no, absolutely, and. Um, it's it can be very frustrating where you get technologies that come out that I mean there's been such a boom in large language mo- large language models like Bar, ChatGPT, and stuff like that where I would love to feed in my code and make my daily tasks significantly more efficient and able to be able to do things and play around with because um, the beauty of code is that you're able to solve a problem many different ways right and I would love for like a, a different perspective on how to write code and it and chat GPT could do that in seconds where I'll say like, this is how I wrote my code. Is there another way to do it? And then it can give me some, some different way to attack a problem. And I'll say, I don't like that. Can you change that? Can you change that? And that can be done in seconds versus where me, I'll be struggling through the logic for like hours, minutes. I mean, it's just the, the efficiency of being able to do a job like mine would be amazing if I was able to feed in like proprietary code and mm-hmm. safely, obviously where the rest of the world can't access that code, but I'd still right. be able to use the technologies that are becoming available and where I could become much more efficient at my job. That'd be very, very exciting. Cool. You know, Peter, you bring up a great point there because I think there might be this digital divide that's being created, you know, and, and, and again, you, you know, companies like yours uh, at FIS, there's there's a reason that they don't want their code, you, you know, um, oh, I agree. even yeah, even even being used to train a model. Right. Like there's mm-hmm. a certain code that just needs to stay in house. But yep. do you see a, a great divide happening? And I, I'm not just saying like with programmers, but in general, you know, because a lot of big companies, you know, I think uh, stories that came out, I think, you, you know, Chase 
kind of, you know, banned, you know, chat GPT and, and other uh, large language models. And a lot of big companies are banning the use, which part of it makes sense, right? But do you think that there's going to be a divide of, you know, just access to information, growth, all of these different things amongst, uh, amongst companies or sectors that allow this technology and those that don't? Sure. And I think we can feed back into um, the apocalypse that AI could be causing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I could really see the senator, like a bigger body, just swinging very, very hard the other way and saying, we don't know how this is going to affect companies. And if a lot of companies right now build up their their necessity on AI and then the Senate says, like, we can't use AI in companies, we want to take a stop and, and see see what's going to happen, that could swing very hard the other way and, like, companies could <laughs> apocalyptically fall yeah. <laughs> because of that's, their, their, their needs for AI. That's a very real possibility, too, yes. because, you know, you see now at these, especially these bigger companies like NVIDIA, right, mm-hmm. um, Microsoft, these companies, some of them have nearly doubled in the past, you know, six to nine months. Um, yeah. I'll have to look it up, but I think NVIDIA, you know, now that is almost worth a trillion dollars. dollars, yeah. Um, yeah, has, has almost doubled in nine months. So, you know, I think a large part of this growth is the companies that are very open with not just using the technology, but developing it. Yes. But yeah, then what happens if there is regulation that just shuts it down, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, what do you think? Again, it's, 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 it's hard to play that scenario out in your mind but what would happen if if there was a huge ban tomorrow and all these companies that are creating hundreds of billions of dollars of new business all of a sudden oh this technology's banned yeah right like i agree i don't know would it be an apocalypse (laughs) maybe not but that would be economic collapse potentially i mean it depends on what happens in which sectors it happens and on what kind of a great grand scale it is but i mean something has to be done and It'll be interesting to see how companies pivot and what they allow the technology to use and what they don't allow it to use. And I, I can see if certain tech, certain big companies that we're calling them corporations that are being hesitant can kind of fall behind if um, if they don't catch up quickly enough and and don't allow for integration in certain components of the business that would allow them to to get certain jobs done much more quickly and effectively. Hey, this is Jordan, the host of Everyday AI. I've spent more than a thousand hours inside ChatGPT and I'm sharing all of my secrets in our free Prime Prompt Polish ChatGPT course that's only available to loyal listeners like you. Here's what Lindy, who works as an educational consultant, said about the PPP course. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting the results from ChatGPT that I needed and wanted. And after taking the PPP course, I now realized that I was not priming correctly. So I will be heading back into ChatGPT right now to practice my priming, prompting, and polishing. Everyone's prompting wrong, and the PPP course fixes that. If you want access, go to podppp.com. Again, that's podppp.com. Sign up for the free course and start putting ChatGPT to work for you. Um, Peter, I think, I think that you're in a very unique, uh, position because, you know, you've, uh, you graduated with your master's in 2022, correct? Correct. Right. Okay. So coming out as a master's graduate in 2022 with a concentration 
in artificial intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And then a matter of months later, there's this huge boom in mm -hmm. AI, right? Did you find like people looking at you for answers or, you know, looking at you, whether it's, you know, at your company or, you know, friends, family, all that kind of stuff, like, was there a, a certain, not pressure, but a weight that came with it where all of a sudden artificial intelligence is booming and here you are a recent graduate with a master's with a, a focus in AI. What yeah. was that like or what has that been like for you so far? I mean, it's really been fascinating. Just when I was graduating, I took my natural language processing course, which deals with large language models and stuff like that. And the way I was explained to it by my professor, obviously the technologies existed, but they weren't nearly effective enough to replace jobs yet like um that they were struggling with certain things yada 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 and then give it a couple months and all of a sudden you have chat gpt that can write an essay on any topic in the world in <laughs> seconds um the the growth of the large language model has been truly amazing and hearing the people around me talk about it it's I mean, they bring up Terminator a lot. <laughs> where yeah. Salvation is coming. The world is ending. And yeah. um, like the, the robots are going to take over. And I don't think the robots are going to take over unless we allow them to take over. Um, but I mean, it's been fascinating to yeah. just see what I've learned about just become so commonplace. Um, like the word AI to be used as such a buzzword now. It's just been, I mean, it's been cool. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if any company wants to see their stock go up, you just mentioned AI, AI. Yeah. in your earnings calls as yeah. much as possible. And it works. There's studies yeah. on it. Right. Um, yeah. So another question, Peter, like as someone that I'm sure, you, you know, throughout, you know, your, your, your education, you had to do a lot of coding. You had to do a lot of, you know, problem solving and, and building applications. Um, what was your first reaction when you saw chat GPT, being able to do these things in a matter of you know seconds or minutes that would take even a very skilled developer you know maybe hours what was your first reaction when you saw kind of what this gpt technology was capable of it was fascinating a lot of what i kind of relate my learning of code was is you you basically google a lot like you you'll write your code and then you become very good at tr troubleshooting your code you can either interactively debug it, or you can take the error code and throw it into Google and then figure out what causes that error code. And basically what ChatGPT is doing is it's eliminating my need to copy that error, throw it into Google, and, and go back and forth with that process, which could take very, very long. I could just put, throw in my problem into ChatGPT and it'll, it won't write the code perfectly for me by, by any means, but it gives me such a good baseline of where I need to start, where it takes away so much of that, like, do I use this kind of uh, code? Do I use this kind of if-else statement? Do I use do I use my if-else statement here? Here, um, it just takes away so much of the guesswork of like how, how to attack a problem, where it just makes you so much more efficient about attacking that. And I mean, to answer your question, my homework would have been done <laughs> so much faster. <laughs> yeah, I go back. So uh, you know, even when I was personally just starting to use um, ChatGPT a couple months ago. I'm not a programmer, I'm not mm -hmm. a developer, but I, I knew it could work for that. And, you know, I was just trying to, you, you know, build little, uh, you, you know, games or applications. And yeah. I did something in three minutes 
and I sent it to Peter. I don't know if you remember this, Peter. But, I do remember. Uh, yeah. I think it was a, a, a Pong clone, or it was, yep. it was some 80s arcade game. And I sent it to Peter, and I said, hey, this took me three minutes. And do you remember what your reaction was to that? That would have taken me weeks to code. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, which is wild, right? Yes, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, Someone like me with very little technical knowledge can, can go in and create something working. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll have more about that in the newsletter. But I did want to get to, uh, Sayeda, you had two questions, actually. Uh, let's let's tackle these one by one. Uh, Peter, I'll throw this to you. So yeah. uh, Sayeda asks, what emerging AI technologies do you think have the potential to revolutionize everyday life in the near future? Great question. That's a fantastic think, question. Um... What I was really, really interested in, and I really haven't delved too deep into the topic, but allowing plugins to work on your browser, I think would be fascinating where it could, um, I mean, the possibilities are endless. It basically becomes an app store of who could become more creative with how to use AI in an everyday sense of when we Google things and when we go through our day-to-day our -day lives and what do we want to allow AI to kind of implement. and. I mean, the plugins are already so fantastic mm -hmm. without AI. <laughs> They've yeah. made my life so much better. And kind of how you can implement the, the plugins and, and the AI into your day-to-day -day life. of uh, yeah. You could have it just write your emails for you automatically on a whim. And I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's what's what's coming. So, Sayada, even my take on that, you saw you know Microsoft last week um, unveil their, uh, I think it was called Copilot which essentially works AI into the operating system itself and not just, you know, um, like a browser or not just like, oh, if I'm going to, you know, chat GPT, but, you know, kind of what Peter uh, referenced there, that's where I think it's going. It's, it's where it's baked into your operating system. And at any point, no matter what application you're in, you're always going to have an AI assistant there, uh, which, which I think is, is, is going to um, really change the game. Uh, Christopher, another great question. How can we ensure that the development and use of AI systems are inclusive and unbiased, given that AI algorithms are trained on data sets that could potentially reflect and perpetuate existing human biases? Christopher, that's a, that's a fantastic question. That's so hard hitting at, at 7.50 a.m. In, uh, in the morning, but let's, let's try to tackle that, Peter. Like, how can we ensure that AI systems aren't just going to reflect human biases or is there no way do you think i tackled a very similar issue in my studies and a lot of what we were doing was with neural networks which essentially there's multiple ways you can code ai but you can code it where it's very easy to, to tell um someone who is non-technical this is exactly why the machine is telling me that this point is is working this way where a lot of what is being coded now is, um, I mean, neural networks have had such a boom where it literally is a black box. Like you give it data and it's going to spit out data. We don't exactly know why it's giving us this data, but it's very, very good at giving us this data. And I think a fantastic way of um, attacking these kind of problems is we create a hard set of rules or questions, right? Where we ask the, after we iterate on the AI, we ask the AI the exact same questions and if it deviates too hard one way or the other, if it does, is it able to answer that question re repeatedly in the exact same way that we're, or <laughs> it's a bias again, it's so difficult yeah, it to, to, to tackle, but we want the, we want the AI to answer questions in ways that we feel comfortable releasing to the general public without 
biases or or things like that perpetuating because really the most important people that are going to be in the new world with ai is who is feeding the data and why are they giving them that data because you can take away certain data and completely change how the world thinks literally because they're going to be so heavily reliant on ai yeah and i will um you know chris even to follow up i'll i'll make sure to go to the thread um in linkedin and, and leave a comment there was a great and i've referenced this on the show a couple of times um so the OpenAI ceo sam altman did like a two and a half hour podcast with uh, lex fridman specifically and he probably spent a half an hour talking about um these biases and you know, human feedback and all that. So fascinating follow-up to the um, to answer that that Peter gave as well. Um, another question, uh, Sayeda. Sayeda always comes with great questions. Uh, so, so thank you for always tuning in. Uh, so she says, uh, are there any potential risks or downsides to relying too heavily on AI for decision-making in our own personal lives? Oh, I have a great take on that. But Peter, what's what's your take? Is, is there downsides to us using AI too much, like even personally? I mean, I think... A great way to approach that is like people should be taught how to do things without AI the same way we were taught how to use math without a calculator. Yeah. And then you allow AI to help you in your day to day lives. You should still understand the core of what you're doing and like how it works before just slow, slowly tuning into AI, because then you're literally a slave to the system. You don't really know why it's giving you these answers. You're not able to interpret these answers for your own. You should definitely be able to do research on a subject, any topic, and be able to have a general baseline understanding of it before you just allow some random search to give you whatever you want without doing your due diligence. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, I've, um, I've talked about this before, but, you know, Sayada, to even get back to that question, um, I think AI, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, the internet, right? Um, and I always think, oh, did the internet make us smart or dumb? Um, and I kind of think the same thing with AI. It's like, is AI making us smart or dumb? Um, and I think it depends on what you're doing outside of your usage of AI. Um, I think that if you're still seeking to understand the knowledge, so even if we go back to this, um, you know, the new story about, you know, people ditching their tutors and just using ChatGPT. So like my thing is, okay, are you actually learning whatever your ChatGPT tutor tells you or are you just using it to, okay, there's my answer for this paper, there's my answer for this test, or are you actually ingesting the information and understanding it and kind of like what Peter said, you know, the math without a calculator. So I think it all just depends on if you're actually, you know, using that information. Um, so we, I know we went a little long, Peter, but um, I think we made it through all the questions, but I want to get one more question for you before we uh, end this episode. Sure. Um, as someone that's in the field, uh, you understand, uh, you, you know, AI probably better than almost anyone listening uh, to, to this show, just because this is where your um, education is. This is what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, you know, as a developer um, or as a, as, a, as a programmer. But where do you see this technology going? Um, you know, in the next couple of years? Uh, will it get to the point where, you know, many jobs in theory could be automated? You know, do you think that, um, you know, are we at kind of the, the height of, of the climb of, of AI? I mean, what's what's your take on where this technology is uh, heading in the near future? I mean, the growth is truly exponential. I mean, there's a ton of brilliant people that are going to be able to come up with so many fascinating ways to use these large language models to help general people in so many different ways um 
the real the real real question is i mean there's so many memes about how the senate handled like the snapchat um debate and all that but we really need a governing body to come in and, and responsibly and with knowledge base mm-hmm. <laughs> be able to um to kind of help guide where this technology goes because if it goes unfeathered i mean apocalyptic destruction of jobs is definitely not off the table i don't think so i mean it's going to be very fascinating to see how the problem is tackled and i'm very excited to see where where it goes yeah you bring up a great point which should be a whole nother conversation but just in general you know you have these these big ceos of you know the microsoft's the open Mm -hmm. ai everyone and they're and they're openly saying yes, regulate this industry, you know. But on the flip side, like what you said, Peter, like I'm I'm never shy about this. I don't think our current um, government in the U.S. is set up to uh, not just regulate, but even understand AI. If if, if you've ever tuned into any line of questioning from um, you know anything the, the U.S. Congress, yeah, yeah like like the there's, Google, there's the Snapchat. It, there was yeah. there was a couple instances, yeah. Right, like the, like there's a couple people who understand, but the overwhelming majority, actual U.S. senators asking questions of these CEOs, where it's it's face palm moments, where it's oh, like, yeah. oh, a lot of the people running our country don't even understand how the internet works. Most of them need their kids to like tune into like the internet and stuff, yeah. Oh, it's it's crazy. All right. Well, we made it. We made it to the end of the show. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for for, for jumping on uh, the show. Really appreciate having you on. No, it's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. So as a reminder, uh, if you are still watching, listening, please go to youreverydayai.com. We have a daily newsletter and we're giving away uh, two year long uh, subscriptions to chat GPT plus. So the premium version of chat GPT, it's a little expensive, but we're going to pay for it for you. So go to your everyday sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we have that information in there. So thank you so much for tuning in today and we hope to see you tomorrow and every day at your everyday AI. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's edition of everyday AI. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating. It helps keep us going. For a little more AI magic, visit youreverydayai.com and sign up to our daily newsletter so you don't get left behind. Go break some barriers and we'll see you next time.